Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. So um, I have been like doing this little mini series on politics and um, man, that's been controversial. You know, because this is basically what I, sorry about that. Um, but listen, the reason why it's been controversial is because I've basically said this. Your opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. God's opinion is the only one that matters. And the only way that we can be sure of what his opinion is, is to do our best to submit ourselves to the authority of his word and, and see how it addresses our current situation. So, um, I was doing that this week and I just felt agitated in my heart, like all week long, because I was going to talk on the topic of freedom. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so controversial if I talk on the topic of freedom. But how many of you guys know, just real quick, here's the moral of the sermon, that um, the purpose of freedom is not just for you, but it's so that you can set other people free. Yeah. Amen. And freedom is actually not real unless there are boundaries. So those are the two points from the message I was going to preach. Um, now I'm going to share with you guys on the topic of the great invitation. So um, it's going to be from Matthew chapter four, and I'm going to read verse 17 through verse 22. Um, and I don't even have my, any notes. Does that scare anybody today? Because... It should, but no, because I just, no, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like kind of messed up on the inside and I don't know. It's, it's not necessarily the election. It's more so the people of God and how I view people responding and reacting and how some people just need to remember that they have a real relationship with Jesus and he sits on the throne. He is King. He is Lord. And we have the opportunity to encounter him. And so I was just thinking like, man, let's return uh, back to the basics in a sense, and let's examine the fundamentals of what we must remember in the midst of so much chaos going on in culture. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So Matthew chapter four, um, I'm going to read from verse 17 and, um, and then we'll just dive in from that time. Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. That's a commandment, not a suggestion. Note. And I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, everybody say immediately. This is the appropriate biblical response for when Jesus speaks to you and gives you a command. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, verse 22, and immediately, everybody say immediately. immediately. They left the boat and their father and they followed him. So that's the, that's the context today for where we're going to talk from. So Lord, we just ask that you would help us navigate your word today. Uh, just let's spend a little time in prayer here. If you don't mind, just pray with me. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are not at all shaken. In the midst of this season, you are not at all shaken. 
Lord, I thank you, God, that we have a higher and a greater reality, which is heaven. And the atmosphere of heaven is a peaceful atmosphere. And so we release the atmosphere of heaven all through this house today. God, we thank you that you have our hearts in the palm of your hand, that you can speak with loving affection and affirmation over your kids, and you can bring a change within us in a single moment. So Lord, we ask that you would bring transformation this morning. We ask that you would fill us with your love. We ask that you would fill us with your power. We ask that you would fill us with your grace and with your mercy. No matter what comes our way, God, we know who is in charge of us. And we know whom has saved us through the power of the cross, through blood, through your body, through your brokenness, God. We know who has redeemed us. And so we come back to the altar today and we submit ourselves to our Lord and our King, Jesus. We submit ourselves, we surrender, and we abandon today again in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Awesome. So, um, the title of this message is The Great Invitation. Sound good? Yes. The Great Invitation. All right. So, uh, what we see here is we see Jesus starting his earthly ministry in verse 17. And what he says is, repent. Everybody say, repent. repent. Now, we all know what repentance is. Essentially, it means to change your mind. It means to make a deliberate choice to change your mind mind. That's what repentance is. So Jesus begins his earthly ministry with this single sentence sermon. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's how Jesus begins his ministry. He doesn't have some lengthy sermon series. He doesn't have a PowerPoint presentation. He doesn't have a keynote. He doesn't have 10 points to greater success. He has one point and he begins his preaching ministry with one command, which is change your mind. I think that right now, this message would actually be quite powerful for most of us that confess Jesus as Lord. Change your mind. I'm not trying to come for you straight out the gate, but listen, if you are in a place today that what's going on in culture has shaken you to such an extent that you can no longer do life, please allow me to invite you to repent. Change your mind. What is it that repentance leads to? Well, Jesus reveals that right there within his short, condensed message. Change your mind so that you can experience, so that you can see the kingdom of heaven, which is here now. Everybody say now. Not one day, like not when you die, like you get to go to heaven and experience paradise as Jesus told the thief on the cross. No, we can experience heaven now. Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is as near to you as your hand. So that means it's right here. You can see it. You can feel it. You can touch it. You can taste it. The kingdom of heaven is available to each and every one of us, which is a superior reality than that of the kingdom of the world. And it is right here right now. But you must first do something, which is repent. Anytime you want to experience more of the kingdom of heaven in your life, it must be preceded by repentance. 
If you're in here today and you're like, man, I just need more heaven, okay, then you need more repentance. And I know a lot of people don't like to talk about that because they're like, no, come on, give me an index card of like great points that make me feel better in my heart. And I want to do that. I really do. But that's not where Jesus began. Jesus started by saying, listen, if you want more heaven, you need more repentance. I heard one preacher say one time, he said, you know, we've repented enough to be saved. We've not repented enough to witness heaven. We've not repented enough to see the atmosphere of heaven break out through our lives, our churches, our homes, our ministries. We've repented enough to go to heaven when we die. We've not repented enough to bring heaven to the earth. And so I just want to invite us right now, like if we're stuck in a place because of the results of the election, could we hit our faces in prayer and begin to repent for putting too much stock in the affairs of men and receive what heaven has to say about what's happening in us right now? I mean, I'm just, I'm inviting you into this because I believe this is the great invitation that Jesus invites us all into. The initial posture of the disciple is that of repentance that of brokenness, that of confessing sin, that of denying arrogance, that of kicking out pride. I don't know if you guys are on Facebook right now, but there's a lot of things that I think we need to repent of. Is this too mean to start? So here's my first point. Repent. Wherever you are today, repent, repent. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Okay, listen, God, I repent. Whatever I'm not seeing right, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Please forgive me of my pride. Please forgive me of my disobedience. Show me what it is that I'm not seeing. I need help. I need wisdom. I need grace. I need mercy. I'm fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I'm a cracked, leaky, broken vessel. I can't hold all the stuff that I need to carry each and every day. I leak which is why I have to come before the Lord in prayer each and every day, dependent upon the Holy Spirit to be filled up again and again and again. Because unless I reach that point, I will walk around empty, speaking from an empty head and an empty heart, giving my own opinion without first checking with what Jesus has to say so that I might not only be a recipient of grace in heaven, but I might also be a dispenser of the grace and of heaven. So if you want to bring more heaven right now, here's point one, repent. If you want to bring more heaven right now, repent. Ask God, like David asked God, search my heart if there be any hidden sin in me. Root out the pride. Root out the judgmentalism. Root out the hatred. Root out the offense. Hey, how are you doing at loving people who didn't vote like you? How are you doing right now? Give yourself a rating, one to ten. <laughs> repent! repent I'm just going to let that sit there for a second I know that's awkward isn't it I'm right they're wrong are you sure I'm just asking a question are you positive or do you need to repent You know, it's so interesting to me that Jesus chose to begin his earthly ministry with a sermon the length of a tweet. Right? I mean, yeah, even shorter than 140 characters, right? It's so short. It's so condensed because Jesus came with so much power. Jesus came with so much authority. 
Jesus came with so much love, he understood, look, what is going to move the hearts of men is not another presentation, but a demonstration of kingdom power. And I hear what we're saying. I hear what you're talking about. <laughs> I hear what you're posting about. But what the world needs is not another lecture. What the world needs is real kingdom power. First Corinthians chapter four, verse 20, the apostle Paul said, listen, I'm about to come to you. You guys remember, that's why I love Paul because he's so confrontational. I wish I could be more like Paul, but I'm not. I asked the Lord to make me more like Paul. He said, you're like John the beloved. I was like, Lord, come on. I want to be more like Paul. He's like, I'm coming to you and I'm about to find out if what you're preaching, you're actually walking out because I am going to come and inspect you preachers who are talking, talking, talking. But you're not walking in any spiritual authority or power. You're not healing the sick. You're not raising the dead. You're not cleansing the leper. The mute are not singing. The, the poor are not receiving the gospel. Right? That's what Paul said. The kingdom of God is not a matter of presentation. Right? But of power, but of an actual demonstration of Holy Spirit power so that people are no longer looking at your mouth like, what's that guy saying? But they're actually looking at your behavior. They're looking at your actions. They're looking at the atmosphere that your words create. And they're looking to see how are people being encountered by love on the basis of how you live. Repent. I think that's the posture today, man. We need to repent. We need to repent for putting too much stock in politicians. We need to repent. Yes. I know that's not going to go over well. I know that. I know. Look, but we need to repent. We, if we were honest, we could say, man, our churches have been filled with idolatry. Yes. What's an idol? Anything you have to check with before you say yes to Jesus. I would surrender, but you know, I got my, 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 my uh, boat business. I would surrender, but you know, I got a fat 401k. I would surrender, but you know, my dad, he's really expecting me to do these things. Did you guys read the same scripture I read? Immediately. Right? And so let's go. Let's go. So we need to repent. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm simply inviting us into a posture as a house, as a family to say, this is where God is going to find me. He's not going to find me in the, in the judge's seat, slamming the gavel on people who disagree with me. He's going to find me in the floor, weeping between porch and altar with my face on the dirt, muddy, just messed up saying, God, I repent. I repent for trying to be my own Lord. You're Lord. Help me. I'm dependent. I leak. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. I think it would be awesome if we just took that posture because it's a posture of humility, right? And we know what we, we know. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the. I don't want to be resisted by God. How about you? Well, I would suggest we choose a different posture. Like people are like, oh, God, why is God judging me? What? The pride, he's rooting it out. It's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And he can't have you speaking in his name being so mean. Or offended or angry or contentious or cutting people down. 
No, repent. That, I get, maybe that's the whole point of the message. That's why I don't have notes. We need to repent. We need to repent. We need to repent. You know, give me clean hands and a pure heart. Who's going to ascend the hill of the Lord? Clean hands. We're supposed to be a presence people. We can't walk into the presence with our political posturing, our own affiliations, our own opinions, all the stuff that we think that we ought to be able to bring. No, God said, check it at the door, man. I don't know, man. I'm just trying to move in a different way. I am sensing that that's what God is calling us to do. Just repent. Repent. Why? Because we want to see the kingdom of heaven. We want to see heaven come. We want to see heaven fall. We want to see glory invade the sanctuary. We want to see revival take place in the city. We want to see transformation. We want to see these things. We need God to move. I would just prefer not to find out in a year that God was resisting our house because we had a posture of pride. So even if we're not wrong, what do we have to lose by repenting? Because chances are we probably are. You know why? Because we're not gone. I don't know. Just a thought. It's just a thought as we're kicking off here, Cooper. It's just a thought. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. I've been getting more bold. It is the political series that has emboldened me. Um, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, how many of you guys want to see heaven? Dude, I want to see heaven, man. I'm tired of just hearing other people's testimonies. I love other people's testimonies. I appreciate that. I do. I like that. I like testimonies. It's amazing. It, it provokes me, right? But I'm not just trying to hear something. I'm trying to see something. Right? We are a part of a generation that has heard so many testimonies. We've heard so many prophetic words. We've heard so many podcasts. We've listened to so many teachings. We've listened to so many lectures. We have heard everything. And I believe we are in a moment of Acts chapter 2 where the sound, like the mighty rushing wind, right? And we're like, oh, I hear, I hear, I hear, I hear, I hear. Dude, I'm tired of hearing. I want to see the cloven tongues as a fire rest upon each and every person. Like, it is great to hear the sound. We appreciate the sound. We love the sound. It's amazing to hear something. But I believe we are a part of a generation that longs to see something. And even as in Acts, you know, if you look at Acts chapter 1, even when Jesus was preparing to ascend to the Father, what did he say? He said, you're not going to be my listeners. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. Wow. James says, don't be hearers of the word, be Right, so when you watch Judge Judy, who does she call to the witness stand? It's called a witness stand for a reason. She doesn't call the person up to the seat that's heard something secondhand. And yet we have a whole lot of Christians that have they're only able to parrot what they've heard from the pulpit. And we need to have, we can't, now we can't podcast this message. I've gone over the line. But listen, we need to see something. We need to see the fire. We need to see the move of God. We need to see the healings in our own life. We need to see the transformation in our own life. We cannot continue to outsource our responsibility uh, to be revivalists and reformers to our pastors. Listen, I, since we're already rolling, you know, you can't tithe enough to pay me to do your Christian life for you. Like, it's impossible. I'm not even that good at it. I repent. I'm not even that good at it. I need help. We, we, have, to, we have to stop outsourcing. <clears throat> so let's go into this. I, so basically, here's what Jesus says, right? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then immediately they responded, right? 
And so follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So I got four points today. Number one was repent. So if you're taking notes, this is not, this is probably not my finest, like most eloquent sermonette, but number one is repent. Number two is this, follow me. Number two is follow me. Like, I think it would really be helpful if we took real stock of our Christian walk and said, am I really following the real Jesus? Or am I practicing religion? How do I know? I'm going to tell you in point three and four. But the first, the, first, the, the, the first thing that Jesus invites us into is intimacy. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that as Jesus is walking the shoreline of Galilee, he points out and he says, follow me. That discipleship begins with being desired. I want you to really think about that because I know some of us believe that we got saved because we got hungry for God. That's not the case. God became so hungry for you that there came a point in your life in which you could no longer resist his intimacy and you surrendered. Isn't that how you got saved? You surrendered. You can't study God enough to figure him out to intellectually assent to salvation. It's impossible because it's not a mental exercise. It's a spiritual transformation. So when you got saved, here's what happened. You did this. I surrender, Lord. Isn't that how you got saved? I waved the white flag. I'm done. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to me in a drug-infested apartment in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I was growing weed in my closet, had coke in the cabinet, and Jesus walked into the room and said, in six months, you're going to be dead or in prison unless you come home to me right now. And tears fell down my face. I didn't have TBN on. I didn't own a Bible. Nobody prophesied to me. I wasn't going to church. And I waved the white flag of surrender. I said, okay, here I am, Lord. I give up. I give up trying to figure out how to do this on my own. I surrender. Jesus said, follow me. I want you. That's how everybody's discipleship journey begins. It begins with God desiring you, not you desiring God. Some of us have built our whole faith and our whole religious experience on the basis of how passionate we are for Jesus. We need to rearrange that and build your faith on how passionate Jesus is for you. You are not sustained and your identity is not upheld by your hunger for God. Your identity is upheld by God's hunger for you. If you base who you are on how hungry you are for God, then that means on the basis of your religious fervor, you will know who you are like a roller coaster. I don't know who I am today. I know who I am today. I'm really hot and I'm on fire today. I just got off a fast. I'm, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. I'm awesome. And then you go through, oh man, I'm terrible. I can't go to church. I can't participate. I can't pray. I can't. No, no. We're, we're basing our own identities, uh, you know, in an essence of, of our own religious works when in fact our work doesn't matter. This is just going to be a rift. The whole message is just a rift. Thank you for your encouragement, Bliss. That's it. So Jesus says, follow me. How awesome is it that Jesus says, follow me? And how awesome is it that he invites us through his own desire to surrender ourselves to him? Did you know the same state in which you got saved is the same state in which you're called to live? Which is a state of surrender. Here, whenever you got saved, there was something in your spirit that I like to call the surrender switch. You clicked it on. 
That's what happened. Like, he came to you and you were like, I give up. Right? And then two months later, what happens? And then we come into church like, I surrender all. You like that? I surrender all, Lord. Yeah, take it all. And the Holy Spirit's like, tithe. But not that, God. I won't surrender that, Lord. Decline the DM when he slides in at 2 a.m. Like, you up? <laughs> and the Holy Spirit was like, you remember when you said on Sunday that you surrender all? But not that, Lord. <laughs> New verse. Remix. Right? So we go through this thing of like compartmentalizing what it is that we're willing to let God speak into. And anything that we're hiding and we won't allow God to address is called idolatry, which is a violation of the very first commandment. I am a jealous God and I'm coming for your idols. And I know sometimes we try to argue with him and we're like, God, this isn't even about my salvation. I'm already saved. He's like, was well, your goal just to get to heaven? Or is your goal to have a love relationship with me? Because I invited you to follow me, not eventually meet me one day after your funeral. Follow me. He says, look, here's, here's, here's the thing. You can have intimacy. You can have intimacy with me. Do you understand how hashtag blessed that you are? Because you have literally been, literally, quite literally, been given the privilege of having intimacy with your creator. Like God created you so that you could have intimacy with him. And he's not checking with anything before he comes to you to have that connection with your heart. How awesome is that? I know it really kind of stinks sometimes to acknowledge this, but we are as close to God as we want to be. And I know we would like to blame it on other elements. But we are as close to God as we want to be. You want more God? Repent. And, and then here's the other thing. You want more God? Keep worshiping even when you go through hard times. Keep worshiping even when life sucks. Keep worshiping even when who you didn't vote for didn't win. Too real? Keep worshiping because who followed God any closer than Jesus? Where did that lead him? A garden called Gethsemane where he sweat drops of blood. We should not think that it's funny when we go through hard times if we're following God. In fact, if we follow God close enough, it'll guarantee that we'll walk through Gethsemane. You know why? Because Gethsemane in Hebrew is actually translated out as the oil press. That's what it means. So you're like, Lord, make me more anointed. He's like, follow me. And then you're like, well, hold on. It looks like Gethsemane's up ahead. <laughs> I, you know what? <laughs> I'm good, actually. 
And, and, then, and then you see other people walk through Gethsemane and instead of getting in it with them or celebrating them or praying for them, we make fun of them. And we say, oh, the Lord must not be with them because that's our own defense mechanism because the switch is off. Right? But no, look, you want to be anointed? God said, here, come to the oil press because I'm going to squeeze you enough to get a little bit more anointing out of you. I don't know anybody who's really anointed who hasn't gone through some really hard stuff. But here's what God guarantees. Just follow me. Just keep following me because no storm that you experience will ever supersede the goodness you'll get from relationship with me. I'll just, I'll just keep loving you. And even when it's really hard, I'll even bring more love and I'll bring more joy and I'll bring more of the fruit of the spirit. Point number two is this, and I will make you. Right? A lot of people skip over that because you go straight to fishers of men. But if you look at, if you look at what Jesus says next, he says, and I will make you. Everybody say discipleship. discipleship. That's point number three. Number one is repent. The great Here's the great invitation of Jesus. You want to go back to the fundamentals? Here it is. Number one is repent. Number two is intimacy. Number three is discipleship. So let me ask you. So Jesus says, if you'll follow me, I'm going to make you. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who's making you? Jesus or Twitter? Jesus or Facebook? Jesus or CNN? Jesus or Fox News? Jesus or... Who, who's making you? Who, has get, who have you deputized? Who, who have, you, have you... Have you got on the potter's wheel? He said, here you go. You've been deputized, social media. Put your thumb in me and transform me into your image. Who's making you? Because here's what Jesus invites you into. He says, look, I'm going to take personal responsibility to transform you into the person you're called to become. How about this? Not only do, do we deputize others to make us and form us, but we often deputize ourselves. Because we live in a culture of hashtag self-made millionaire, hashtag team no sleep, hashtag no days off, hashtag grind before shine or whatever it is. <laughs> right. We don't want to we don't want to accept the fact that we don't actually have ultimate authority to transform ourselves into the person we're called to become. It doesn't matter how hard you work. doesn't matter how many e-courses you buy. It doesn't matter how many college credits you earn. It doesn't matter how many sermons you listen to. It doesn't matter who your spiritual father is. It doesn't matter who your spiritual mother is. It doesn't matter how much impartation you've received. At the end of the day, the only person who has the rightful authority to transform you into the person you're ultimately called to become is Jesus because he takes supreme responsibility for you. So here's the gospel. You don't have to make yourself. Doesn't that set you free a little bit? Because how much pressure do we put upon ourselves to make ourselves? Oh, if I'm going to achieve my destiny, if I'm going to achieve success, if I'm going to do everything God's called me to do, if I'm going to inherit all my prophetic words, if I'm going to live out all of my dreams, I better get to work because I've got to transform myself into the person I'm called to become. And Jesus says, no, you don't. If you just follow me, I will guarantee that from our intimacy, you will be turned into the person you're supposed to be. I know, I know a lot of times that... 
Is this getting too much now? Am I like, I don't know if you guys are getting tired now. I got just a few more minutes. So, but it guarantees if you will stay within intimacy, you will become the person you're called to be. But anytime you leave intimacy, it guarantees that you will be transformed into an image that God didn't call you to look like. Intimacy. Intimacy. It guarantees. It guarantees that you'll become that. But what so often happens whenever we leave intimacy? Arrogance. Okay, so here's how you can tell if a Christian hasn't had an encounter in a while. Arrogance. Because encounters humble. Whenever we have an encounter with the living God, we recognize that we sin. Isn't that what scripture teaches us? That, that, that if anybody says they don't sin, that the love of God is not in them and they're a liar. That's just what the Bible says, right? So whenever I have an encounter with the living God, I realize a few things. Number one, I sin, right? Like whenever Jesus, rec or excuse me, whenever Peter recognized Jesus in the boat, he hit the floor and he's like, get out of my boat. I'm a sinner. I'm about to die. If you've ever had a real encounter, you think you're about to die. Because you realize, man, he's holy. I'm not holy by comparison. My righteousness are as filthy rags to him. Oh, man, he's really big. He's really great. He's really awesome. He's really powerful. He's really holy. He's really righteous, right? So encounters humble. So when a Christian becomes arrogant, all they're doing is revealing that it's been a while since their last encounter. They're not following anymore. And listen, God makes you into him, his image. You don't make God into yours. But if God looks exactly like you, you're probably not following anymore. Like if God hates all the people you hate, only votes the way that you vote, um, loves all the people you love, disrespects all the people you disrespect, chances are you've stopped following. Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So number two is discipleship. Number three is this. Uh, and I will make you what? So here's number three, evangelism. Oh, that's a cuss word, isn't it? I don't know how well this last point is going to go over. But listen, this is what Jesus invites us all into as believers. He says, listen, if you want to follow me and experience heaven, first, you have to repent. Second, you have to follow me and have intimacy. Third, you have to choose discipleship. So even when it's hard, you have to stay on the wheel. And then thirdly, you are called to become an active participant in my plan to redeem all of humanity. These people were fishermen, which is why he uses a relevant phrase, and you will become fishers of men. They understood, at the very least, they may not have known what it was going to mean. They, they, they were like, what does it mean to fish for men? At the very least, they knew it was going to require work. Because they were fishermen, so they understood hard work. Look, I toil all through the night sometimes to get a catch, right? That's why after they had not caught anything for the entire night, and Jesus is like, brothers, let down the nets on the other side. Right. They understood hard work. Fishermen know what it means to work very hard. Have you seen the Discovery Channel? They said the most dangerous job in the world is to be a crab fisherman. Right. It, they're wrong about that because the most dangerous job in the world is to be an apostle. Have you read the Bible? They all were martyred, at least all except for John, who wrote Revelation, who was exiled to Patmos after being boiled in oil. Who wants that ministry? 
And yet we divorce the reality of the people who wrote the Bible from our reality and think that it is so uncommon that we're not actually blessed, that we're not following the real Jesus, and that somehow God is being mean to me because I'm, I'm afflicted momentarily when there is nobody who wrote in this book who did not experience great tragedy as a result of their follow. This, this is... I don't, I don't know how this is going over, honestly. I, I appreciate you guys, like, you're happy about it, but. Um, so, you know, the last point being evangelism. And I, I realize, like, some people truly believe, you know what, it's just not in my personality to evangelize. And that's not true. You know, you know how I know? Because God doesn't consult your personality before he calls you to follow him. He doesn't. You know why? Because he just gives you a new personality. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. <laughs> so tell me again about how you don't have the skill set to evangelize when you have the living God on the inside of you who literally redeemed the world through the cross of Calvary and now he's taking up residence on the inside of you. You really think that all that power you have the authority to squelch? No, you don't. And I get it. I mean, today we're so obsessed with personality tests. We got the disc. We got the Enneagram. We got the, you know, different animals and whatnot. I don't even know all of them at this point, you know. And I respect them. I think they're good tools to use at times when they're applicable. But we've got people who literally refuse to evangelize because they are a nine on the Enneagram. I cannot share my faith with anybody because I am a five. I can't become a missionary. It would be impossible because I am a gopher. I don't even know all these things. But listen, I... How many of you guys growing up taking like the ASVAB test and stuff, you know, where you had to like do the little thing you know, you, with your pencil and then they run it through a computer. You guys know what I'm talking about? The way I took my ACT was ABCD, CDBA. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to admit that, but... A Scantron test. You guys remember that? Do we really believe that Jesus had a bunch of Scantrons in his robe when he was walking the shoreline of Galilee? Take that test. Take that test. Number two pencil, Peter. Make sure you have the right pencil. Can you take that test? Because I just want to make sure that you have the right personality to follow me. Because we're going to be doing this thing called fishing for men. We're going to be doing evangelism and missions. You're going to be preaching the gospel to people. You're going to be standing up in the face of, uh, you know, all the political figures that really hate you. You're going to be lashed. You're going to be beaten like multiple times. You're going to get stoned. Not, you're not going to smoke, but like you're going to get rocks thrown at you and things. Like stuff is going to happen. So I just want to make sure, I just want to make sure real quick that, you know, you have the right personality. No, dude, the Lord did not give any personality test. He just said, hey, here's a new personality. I know that is really offensive, isn't it? Well, let's be honest. Some of our personality, like we're so obsessed with our own personality that at some extent we've probably embraced humanism, which we go back to repent. Repent. Just repent. Just repent, Lord. Search us, God. Take out all the idols. Take out all the false beliefs. Take out all the misunderstandings. Take out all the stuff that we think is true about you that's not actually true, but we don't know because we're not doing what you invited us to do, which is having intimacy with you. We make spiritual posts on Facebook, but we don't actually pray. Like, Lord, I repent. We make spiritual, you know. 
But we don't read the Bible. I mean, that would be awesome if we just all started reading the Bible. I think there'd be a lot more love in our culture. So if like if you if you were in a physical war, like if your life depended upon your ability to use your weapon, how many of you guys would let that sit on the mantle and collect dust and rust and get destroyed as the result of no usage? Like if all you had to protect yourself was a sword and you were in a physical fight every single day of your life, whenever you left your house, you knew it was going to get violent. Would you not take your weapon? Would you not practice wielding your weapon? Would you not get used to the weight? Would you not get used to the ability to use that thing? Or would you just leave it on the mantle when you left for work in the morning? And yet we treat the Bible that way. God says, hey, look, this is the, this is the sword right here, man. Here's the weapon that you have. And we're like, yeah, it's fine. It's, we just leave it over there. Just let it collect dust. I feel like this is a Francis Chan message. You know? Like... Amen. So, Lord, we just ask for some help here. I couldn't, I couldn't preach what I prepared. Guys, I had nine pages of notes. It was all lengthy. I had it typed out. I was ready to go. And I just did. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I just, I, I, I started in on Wednesday and Thursday, and, and I was just, I was drawn to this place of prayer. And I just felt like we got to go back to the basics. I remember, like, I used to play basketball coming up. And anytime my shot was off, my dad would always say, check the fundamentals. You know, go back to the basics, check the fundamentals. Is your elbow in the right place? You know, you bend in your knees, you practice in your follow through. Go back to the fundamentals, go back to the basics. And I just think it's a good moment. I think it's a really good moment to be reminded of the fundamentals, of what's really, really important and what God has really, really brought us into and welcomed us into as in relationship with him. Repent, follow me, intimacy. I will make you discipleship, fishers of men, evangelism, and missions. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.